Well, turn with me in your Bibles in Acts to uh, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Any of you get a baby water today? I like feel really big right now. Feeling really big. Anyways. Did I ever tell you guys my orthodontist, like when I was young, told me, like, he did some x-ray of my hand. You know, this is like probably early 90s. Told me, you're going to be about six feet tall. That guy was a liar. (laughs) But this water bottle is really helping my self-esteem right now. I'm just kidding. Okay, anyways, moving on. (laughs) Acts chapter 20, what's happening right now? Okay, we're in the Bible. Study. Here we go. Uh, we are, we're making it, we're doing it, we're, we're trekking along through the book of Acts. We've been in a series of studies looking at Paul's message to the Ephesian elders, which we're covering in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38. In, and in part five of that series of studies, we're going to be in Acts 20, verse 28. But just for some context, again, Paul's speaking to these Ephesian elders that he knew personally. He had a personal connection with these men. He had been a spiritual father to them. He had been someone who preached the gospel to them, who had discipled them, who had seen, no doubt, God's call upon their lives. That, and God would use Paul as an instrument in his hand to see that call and to lay hands and to appoint into these roles of being a spiritual elder, a leader in the church of Jesus Christ in the city of Ephesus. And Paul's now making his way to Jerusalem. He knows some really bad things are coming for him. Not that he knows all of what that's going to look like, but he's got this firm determination in his mind. I am going. The Lord had been preparing him for this. And as he's gathered with these elders, he's, he's exhorting them, but he's, he's doing it in a way where he's calling in their minds, calling back to their minds stuff that they knew about Paul's life, stuff that they had known about Paul's teachings, the, the, the example that Paul had lived, the way that he had ministered to them personally in the past, things that God was doing with Paul right then in the present, making him unshakable as he was heading to Jerusalem. And and now in sort of the third section of his message to these elders, in verses 28 through 35, really, but then through the rest of the chapter, Paul is preparing them. He's warning them. He's exhorting them regarding things that they're going to face in the future and giving them some some final commendations and exhortations of things that they just needed to know right then that they could grab a hold of and continue to minister effectively for Jesus. Because Paul knew the area that they were in. He knew that it was not easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the city of Ephesus And these would have been important things to be able to take away so that they could keep going. So that, not that they could just keep going, but that they could keep going in a way where the the power of Jesus was continuing to move through their lives and they were representing Jesus well and, and they could lead the people of the Lord well. A lot for us to learn from this section, but... With that in mind, verse 28, Paul continuing to speak to the elders here, he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. As I said last week, in light of what Paul shared in the previous verses before this, he now gives these elders this charge regarding the the calling and the role and the responsibility that the Lord had given these 
spiritual leaders, these elders in Jesus's church. He doesn't go into all the details of how to take heed to themselves or how to oversee and shepherd God's flock there in Ephesus, but this reveals to us that there must have already been teaching that they had gotten from Paul of how to do it while he was still there with them in Ephesus for those almost three years. And things that they had learned from Paul's example as they watched Paul's life, as they saw him lead and shepherd and oversee the church in the city of Ephesus. But since Paul didn't give us much insight here when it comes to specifically the the calling and role of shepherding, of overseeing, of being an elder in Jesus' church, last week we spent the majority of our time looking at what Peter shared some years later in his first epistle when he wrote to elders in Jesus' church who had been dispersed because of persecution. And we considered what Peter shared there so that we could gain a better understanding of what Paul had in mind when he spoke of the call and role of the Ephesian elders here in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And if you missed that study last week, please, I encourage you, make sure to listen to it. There is about a 10-minute section of the study there towards the end that was not planned on my part. There was nothing in my notes that just really wanted to share my heart where I am at, what I'm sort of sensing from the Lord that I really would love for you guys to be praying with me about in this season and life of our church. But while we saw some of the implications of this verse and what Peter shared in 1 Peter 5, there's some more that we're going to glean here in Acts 20, 28 regarding elders and specifically my role this morning and also some implications for you know, all of us in this verse as Jesus' church, his flock, both corporately and individually. And I, and I want us to consider some of those things this morning too. But you know, one of the things I didn't share last week is that this specific verse is really special to me personally. This verse is actually a verse that God used about 11 years ago in my life to reconfirm the call that he had upon my life to be a pastor. Some of you guys probably know and have heard me share before, I had been going to a church early on in our marriage, and they'd asked me to be a youth pastor. And at the time, I just, you know, I thought that that was the right thing to do. I don't know how especially prayerful I was at that point in time. There are still ways that the Lord was growing me, but I stepped into that as someone who probably had sworn off teaching long before that. I didn't think that that was something for me that God had for me and stepped into this role. And four years of being on staff at this church and being in pastoral ministry there and doing student ministries, becoming a worship pastor at one point in that church. And went through a lot of bad stuff. There's a lot of weird things that happened. And God called me out of that. And in calling me out of that place, because of all that I had experienced I, I wasn't sure that the, that the Lord had ever really called me in the first place. I had been a pastor. I had been shepherding. And God did put those things in my heart, gave me a heart for that and a desire for that. But I, I, I kind of left there with some, some, some baggage, some hurts, and started going to a, a Calvary Chapel in our city and God started to give opportunities again, and I was so, I, and I don't know how this came across at the time, but like, I don't know that I was like super excited if like a, if an opportunity came because there was like a reluctance at the same time because I just, I didn't want to do it if the Spirit of God wasn't in it. If, the, if God wasn't clearly calling me to it, I just, I didn't want to do it because I, I knew what that was like to just step into things because there was an opportunity and maybe it really wasn't even the Lord in the first place. And 
I had been told by my pastor at the time, like, hey, you know, the, the Lord wants you to be my assistant pastor. He spoke to me that that was going to, that that was what he wanted to do. And I was just like, well, I need to hear that from the Lord. And I, I need to really, I really need to hear that for myself. And, and, and that was a, that was a year process of really praying and seeking the Lord. God, are you calling me? Is this something your spirit is doing? Do you want me to be a pastor? Did you ever call me in the first place? I've been called a pastor, but did you call me a pastor? And one day, about a year into that prayer sort of journey, I was reading in just my daily devotional time, and I was in Acts chapter 20, and when I came to this verse, it was like all the things that my heart ever needed to hear from the Lord were right here. As I'm praying, Lord, did you call me? Did, is your spirit in this? Did you want me to be a, a shepherd, a pastor? It was like everything was here, packed into this one verse for me, that the Holy Spirit has made me an overseer to shepherd the church of God. And I share that because, you know, almost 16 years of pastoral ministry of being called a pastor, 11 of those years being really confident that God called me to be a pastor, that was really him. Even today, this is a, a timely reminder and refresher for my heart in this season of our church of who he's called me to be and what he's called me to do, but also a reminder and refresher to all of us of the Lord's great love for his church, how he sees his church that I, I pray God will use to revitalize how we see Jesus's church and conduct ourselves as members within it. Paul in this verse starts by telling the elders of the church of Ephesus to take heed to themselves and to all the flock. An elder in Jesus's church must first be walking right with Jesus. Should be a no-brainer, but you know, when you're somebody that's just telling other people all the time, it, there's, it can be easy to say something to somebody else that's not necessarily true for your own life. And what comes out of that? Hypocrisy, right? What's one of the number one things that people have distanced themselves from the body of Christ oftentimes because of what is one major obstacle for unbelievers oftentimes. It's this thing that we call hypocrisy, right? Saying something but not doing it. It's a, a profession that doesn't match like the reality of your life. And so for the elders in Jesus's church, we're to take heed to ourselves. I'm to pay attention to how I'm living. I have to take heed to myself, but then also to all of you. So what about me? If I'm to be an example to the flock, what kind of example have I set and am I setting? Well, you know, I, I pray for and seek to be a Christ-like example. Are they dropping Bibles? We're trying a different system. Like we could ask you to raise your hand and someone could bring it to you, but the airplane would be much cooler. <clears throat> I, I, my desire, my heart is to be that example, to lead by example. One of the things for me that I've, has always stuck with me, is that I would never ask somebody to do something that I w wouldn't do myself or haven't done myself. And that's not to elevate me because I am a very flawed individual. You could ask my family. You guys, many of you know that I'm not perfect. But when I think about this, paying attention to myself and to all the flock... You know, as I kind of shared some of the things last week that were on my heart, you know, in a lot of ways, just for me personally, 
I've been in sort of survival mode in ministry the past two years. Just trying to survive the craziness of, of pastoring, of leading a church as I've prayerfully sought to navigate the difficulties of the past two years, seeking the Lord for direction, for vision, for his spirit to lead me and to lead us, but at times not feeling like he's giving me much clarity of how to move forward. It's, you know, if I'm just being honest, I'm just kind of surviving in some ways. I'm just trying to like make it through the best that I can with the Lord's help. And I've been trying to break out of that sort of survival mode of ministry the last four or five months. But I, I wonder what kind of impact that this has had on all of you and on us as a church. The example you've seen in me may be just surviving, but maybe at times lacking some spiritual vibrancy or passion or direction. And I, as I thought about this, and again, again, I'm bringing this up because I'm, I'm to be paying attention to myself. How can I lead us as a church if I'm not being transparent even with my own struggles? I, I asked you, I commissioned you last week as a church, you pray for your pastor. It felt, again, very selfish in the moment, but shouldn't. And, it, and for me to feel like that, there, there needs to be more of a transparency, a little bit more of a vulnerability on my part to so you know where I'm coming from as well. But as I consider sort of where I've been, you know, the Lord doesn't want me, doesn't want us to just survive. Like, well, we're, we're still here. Still going still breathing. You feel like that ever? Like, I'm still, and you're thankful for that, like, still going, like, we're still a church. <laughs> God's still moving. It doesn't want us to just survive, it doesn't want me to just survive, even in the context of ministry life, of pastoring. But he wants us to thrive. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to be fruitful. So the question then is, how do I and how do we, if that's you, if you maybe hear me say this and you can kind of see that to be true even in some ways in your life, how do we move out of that mode of surviving and into a new season and chapter where we really do thrive? We flourish, we become fruitful. I, I believe the, the missing ingredient, which is important that it's not a secret ingredient, it's not an ingredient that's no longer in existence, is, is revival, personal and inward revival as a work, a genuine work of the Spirit of God that will lead to corporate revival. And that's not manufactured. You can put on a revival. You can put up a tent. You can try to do things old school and you put up a tent, get some fiery preacher. I went to Israel one time and I was, loved it. And, but we were, it was just a group of pastors from all different kind of like denominations and things. And this guy was there and he's like talking to us about how, you know, his word for the year, and he was kind of a tent revival sort of guy, um, and I'm not dissing that, but his word for the year, for that new year was repent. He's like, it was my word last year too. <laughs> but you know, it's like, what, we, we could try to like, we could try to manufacture that thing and we could try to work people up and get sort of an emotional response, but we all know that those things don't real, really last. They don't produce lasting sort of fruit. There might be temporary things. But what about when the Spirit of God is genuinely working in a person's life? Have you been around somebody 
who is just on fire for Jesus Christ, what does that do to you? There's part part of it where you start to feel bad about yourself, like where you're at, like, shoot, like, this person, not, they just like just came to know the Lord. I, I know the Bible really well. I've been walking with the Lord for a, lot, a long time and I've seen the faithfulness of God and I've seen him show up. How am I not more excited, more passionate? Why is it that we sometimes die down, that flame becomes like a little smoking ember, like it's just barely going for us? God wants to do that sort of fresh work in us all the time. Do you know that for us, as the people of God, God's not interested in us just being stagnant? He's not interesting, interested. That's not his desire for us to, for me even, what I've said about myself, that I'm kind of just in a survival mode. He's not going... You're really walking in all the fullness of what I have for you, Jared. (laughs) Just keep surviving. Maybe you'll make it. Like, no, he wants us to thrive. He wants us to flourish. He wants to fan into a flame those things, that, that fire that maybe, and I'm not saying this is everybody, but maybe for you, that you're going, it's just died down, it's barely going. You know those things in a, in a personal way, they affect the corporate life. And that's why I'm using my own life as an example here today because my own spiritual flourishing affects all of you. How can I expect how we come as the body of Christ when we gather together to be this really living, powerful, dynamic sort of experience, if we want to call it that, but our time, our our existence as the body of Christ, what we do when we gather together, if I'm coming, just surviving. Can't expect you to be in a greater place than I am. I want you to be but I want that to be true for me. You know, this time is special. What we get to be a part of is special. And if it stops feeling like it's that special or if maybe we've just, we come and we're not really expectant Not coming, going, Lord, you're going to speak to me today. Lord, you want to meet with me today. Lord, you want to use me today. Then something is shifted in our hearts that needs to be revived. It needs to change. And this isn't a, you need to do more try harder sort of thing. The church of Ephesus was a solid church. These elders were solid leaders. And years later, when John, the apostle John on the island of Patmos is getting this revelation from Jesus Christ and, and, and one of these parts of this revelation is to to have these messages to these seven churches. One of them was for the city, the church of Ephesus. And they were great. There's a glowing sort of thing that Jesus says about them. Doctrinally solid. And they're not allowing false teaching to come in. They're seemingly doing all of the right things. But somewhere along the way, they had left their first love. Would God call us back to that place if that's us today? For me today, as I view us, as I view what it is to be a part of the body of Christ, 
that the Lord would revive that aspect in our hearts. Paul goes on to say in verse 28, after saying, you know, take heed to yourself and to all the flock, he says, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. As an elder, the Holy Spirit has made me an overseer, not overlord, again, like we looked at last week, but, but overseer, as I'm among all of you all. And as I look out over this flock, part of what I'm seeing is linked to what I was just talking about with the Lord wanting us to not just survive, but to thrive and to flourish. I'm not, you know, saying this as everyone, but for some of us, when it comes to our lives and our involvement in Jesus' church, maybe we are finding ourselves just sort of going through the motions. Maybe things have become routine. And maybe the joy and excitement and passion for Jesus that we once had is dulled over time. Know that the Lord is able and wants to do a fresh work in us. You know, if I'm noticing or if we're noticing that our spiritual lives are lacking fire, passion, zeal, joy, excitement for the Lord and the things of his kingdom and for his church and for reaching the lost first, praise God that he's shown that to us. You ever been in a state that you, like, time goes by, you didn't even really recognize where you're at and the Lord just kind of like reveals sort of where things have been at for you spiritually And it's like, man, I wish I would have realized that two years earlier. I wish I would have, I wish that was something I had prioritized 10 years ago. Like I wish I had paid, you know, I I remember years of my life, even when I was younger, not seeing how important it was to be just having a daily consistent time in the word of God. And I just kind of, it just collected dust and, and my life, my spiritual life suffered because of that. Until finally I realized, man, like God's word is powerful. It's living. And it's life-giving. And it's, it's my spiritual food is what I need. It's how I see Jesus more clearly. Know him more fully. But I remember thinking at one point in time, like, why did I, why? Why didn't I grab a hold of that years before? Praise God that he will show us things that need to change. And he does it so graciously. But but what are we going to do once he's revealed those things to us? Well, we've got to humble ourselves and return to the Lord. We've got to seek him fervently in his word and in prayer we got to stay in a position of humility and dependency before him we need to be people who confess and repent of things that might have caused us to leave our first love we need to return to that first love relationship with the lord and then by the power of his spirit and by his grace we just need to walk in simple obedience to whatever it is that he speaks to us And if that's any of us today, my encouragement, and it's an encouragement for myself, is let's turn back to the Lord so that he can restore and renew and revive and refresh us once again. Amen. Paul went on to say finally in verse 28, yes, they're to pay heed to themselves, to all the flock. The Holy Spirit had made them overseers, but he says to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. As an elder, I've been called to shepherd the church of God, which he's purchased with his own blood. Not only is this 
an important exhortation and reminder for me. But these things Paul writes should give us all a renewed perspective on the way we're to value and be committed to Jesus's church as, as sheep that make up his flock. I want to remind us of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus in Caesarea Philippi said, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You know, some have taken that and thought, well, Peter's the rock, like Peter's the guy that the church was founded on. The problem with that, though, is if Peter was the rock that Jesus founded his church on, that rock was like really unstable from the get-go. It was like a really messed up, like very soft rock that would be easily broken and crushed into pieces. Like, no, the, the rock was the confession that Peter made about Jesus, that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. This confession was what Jesus's church was built upon. But notice that the church is Jesus's. We belong to him. He's purchased us. He's committed to us as our chief shepherd and also the creator and builder and sustainer and protector of his church. And he's attributed a value to you and me that nothing else can even come close to touching because there is nothing more precious, more costly than the blood of Jesus, which was shed for you and me. The value Jesus has given his church and his commitment to his church must be what shapes how we view Jesus's church and then how we conduct ourselves as members of Jesus's church who are a part of the body of Christ and have been united with others. You know, in any flock, sheep don't always get along. Headbutting can happen. Sometimes the shepherd gets headbutted. But that can be just as true when it comes to God's flock, his church, us as his sheep. Jesus knew that within his flock, within his church, that when sinners who are being sanctified by the Spirit of God interact with other sinners who are being sanctified by the Spirit of God, that his sheep would sin against each other, that they would offend each other, that things could get awkward and that his sheep would butt heads. So he said, forget it. I'm not making the church because you all are jacked up. Like, I, he, that's not true. That was, a, that was a joke. But, you know, if we were in his place, we'd just be like, let's not do this. Like, you guys have a hard enough time just dealing with yourselves, let alone getting along with one another. So let's just not... Let's just all go to heaven now. Let's forget about that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> but he didn't do that. That's not how he proceeded. Jesus told Peter he's going to build his church. But there's another place in the Gospels where Jesus talks specifically about his church. And that's when talking about how there would be problems in his church between those within his church. But he gave instruction on how to deal with those things. Check out what Jesus said in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, he said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, not, you know, not your enemy, your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him, notice that, alone. Isn't it a lot easier to just want to tell everybody else how somebody sinned against you, but you don't ever actually tell the person? I just want to, I just want other people to know how offended I am. Maybe it'll get to that person and then something's going to be resolved. Except that that always makes it worse because then they find out you were just talking about them behind their back, right? Jesus had some really good wisdom here. It's a really good way to deal with things. He goes on to say, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. 
But if you'll not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, hate his guts, don't have, no. That's not what he says. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. You know, why, why am I bringing this up right now? Just to tell us how jacked up we all can be at times? Well, no. But if the way we value Jesus' church and are committed to Jesus' church it is not in alignment with the way Jesus values and is committed to his church, when stuff gets hard between believers, when someone sins against you or you sin against someone, when you don't agree on non-essential things but feel really strongly about that thing, but someone else doesn't, it's likely we won't value another believer enough to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness or to extend grace and forgiveness to someone who sinned against us or to strive for unity when there's not uniformity or to keep loving with the agape love of Jesus even if that love is not returned or doesn't seem deserved. But guys, how might we respond differently to one another in the body of Christ if we remembered all the time that Jesus valued the other person so highly that he shed his own blood, he sacrificed his own life to make them his own just like he's done with us? And how might our commitment to Jesus' church be impacted if we remembered that it belongs to him, that the church isn't actually about me, not about us. If we remember that Jesus created it, that he's committed to building and sustaining and protecting and empowering it, if we remember that Jesus loves his church and has called his church his bride, and for any married dude, no one messes with your bride. You don't let people talk bad about your bride like that's like there's a line there right somebody says hey i love you but i hate your wife i don't think we can be friends like i think we're gonna have to part ways like i can still love you but like there's not going to be a relationship there but don't people treat jesus's church that way at times I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I love Jesus, but I don't really want anything to do with the church. I think that's fighting words. I think that puts people in a really weird position with the Lord. To say, Jesus, I don't love your bride. I know you died for her. I know you shed your blood to make her your own but I don't want anything to do with her. Guys, our valuing of the church, our commitment to the church, it can't come from what feels comfortable for me. It has to be coming from what God says in his word, what he's said about his church. And if that can change me, if it can change you and how we approach our view, if we, how we ap- approach one another. Guys, things will, will change. Things will flourish even more relationally within the body of Christ. See, if we've been born again by the Spirit of God, we cannot opt out of Jesus' church. And we should not disengage from being involved in a local fellowship of believers because Jesus shed his blood to make us members of his church, his body, which also requires us to be united together with others in his body. I'd encourage you 
even this week, check out what Paul says about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. It really reinforces this not opting out sort of aspect. Some of what we're seeing today of people breaking fellowship because they don't agree on stuff that actually is not, these are not biblical sort of things that we should be dividing over where people in a lot of ways, as Paul writes about, you know, the eye saying to the hand, I have no need of you and the head to the feet, I have no need of you, that people are taking that sort of approach in their relationships with other believers saying, you know what, I don't, I don't need you. I don't need this relationship. The truth is we need each other in spite of our differences. I mean, I, I think there's no real greater reinforcement of that than just looking at who Jesus called to be as apostles. If unity came from uniformity, Jesus ruined it with who he chose to follow him. Because he had a bunch of fishermen. They're just living life. They're doing their thing. A lot of people saw them as being uneducated because of being Galileans. You had some guy that eventually was going to, you know, betray Jesus. He was stealing from the money bag. You had one guy who was a tax collector. So even in the eyes of his fellow Jews, he was a traitor among his people. The rest of the disciples would never have wanted to hang out with Matthew or Levi, ever. It's kind of working for the enemy, so to speak, working for the Roman government. And then you have a zealot who wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire. It's like, how do you get these guys together and go, you're going to be one. Love each other. And we see that, right? We see how that played out. They had their disagreements and, you know, who's going to be the greatest and all these different things. But guys, that's just a reflection of what Jesus is saying. Like there's a beauty of being diverse, of not all being the same. And yet within that, we can still experience that unity that comes because of a result of the spirit of God. I have a responsibility in this as an elder, an overseer, a shepherd, but so do all of you as the flock of God, that we all would value one another the way that Jesus does and, and be committed to one another because of the commitment that Jesus has to us. Again, the Lord wants us to thrive. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants to revive and renew and refresh and restore us, wants to unite us as a church in him, wants, to, wants us to walk in the power of his spirit, wants to pour his agape love into us and then out of us onto others that the unbelieving world around us would see the life and light and hope and joy and love and grace and power of Jesus at work in and through us just as it was clearly evident in the lives of the disciples in the early church. You know, what made the early church so dynamic? What caused it to be the thriving, flourishing, fruitful, Christ-exalting, gospel-preaching body of Christ which turned the world upside down for Jesus? Well, it wasn't because they had the hippest pastors Remember, Peter was a fisherman before this. Paul was a Pharisee before this. It wasn't because they had the most rocking worship team. It wasn't because they offered every possible program to minister to whoever with whatever they needed a group for to make them feel connected. It wasn't because they had their own state-of-the-art church building with heat and central air conditioning, although... You know, having heat is nice. (laughs) 
It wasn't because there wasn't any interpersonal conflicts or sinful attitudes or things that could make it awkward because it was full of imperfect, sinful people. No, what made the early church so dynamic, what caused it to thrive was because Jesus was at the head and center of his church. The church was all about Jesus. The Holy Spirit was anointing and empowering and and leading it, both the individuals in it and the whole of it corporately. And the Father was being glorified in and through all of it. God has a beautiful design and plan for his church. And we see some of this in what Paul later wrote in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. Paul writing there, which also would have been directed to these elders that he's speaking to here in Acts 20. He says, And he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effecting working, effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Part of that shepherding role I've been called to, being a pastor teacher, is to help equip you all through the teaching of the word of God so that you all can then minister to one another and to others. Equipped to serve Jesus in the work of ministry he has for each of you individually. That would bring about unity and knowledge and maturing and stability and discernment just to point out some of the things he says. Learning how to speak the truth in love. Growing to become more like Jesus. Where, where the body of Christ is joined and knit together. So it's not disjointed, it's not divided. Working effectively like Jesus intends for us too because every part is doing its share and through all of those things causes his church to grow as we edify, as we build up one another in the agape love of Jesus. Guys, as I shared last week, God has designed for there to be spiritual leaders within the church because he cares about our spiritual health and growth and effectiveness. He's called me as your pastor to be a tool in his hands so that his church, you all flourish in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But again, I have to pay attention to my own life too. And I pray this morning as I've just shared some of where I've been at that maybe if, if you've been in the same place that we could all be called out in the best sense of the way possible. Called out of that place of surviving into a place of thriving. Be called out of some ruts that people have gotten stuck into. Into a place where You're seeing God move in new ways. I'm gonna have the worship team come back up. I on Wednesday night I in our Zoom prayer meeting, I was sharing just something that the Lord had made stand out to me in, in Genesis 41, where Joseph, 19 years removed from being sold into slavery from his brother. He's still in Egypt, but now God's exalted him as Pharaoh's right-hand man. And as Joseph begins to have kids, he, he names them. And in his naming of them, he, 
says some really specific things. And one of the things that Joseph said after he named his son Ephraim was that he named him Ephraim because God had made him fruitful in the land of affliction. You know, sometimes when we hear somebody say, like, I've been having a hard time, we don't really, just saying I'm having a hard time or I've been going through some struggles or I've been through some difficulties, just saying that doesn't, you know, it's like we might not fully grasp it. We might kind of go like, yeah, I've had some hard times too. You ever like, (laughs) like, yeah, it's been pretty difficult. When we look at Joseph's life and he says, I've been in the land of affliction, we're like, yeah, Joseph, it's been really bad. Like, Every bad thing possible was happening in his life, and yet he, he saw something about what God had done, that in the land of his affliction, God had made him fruitful. Guys, I, if we've been waiting for stuff to change outwardly, to like be excited or passionate or step out in new things or to feel like I I or you can really thrive and flourish. Like, okay, once we're done with the pandemic, then I'll really thrive, then I'll really flourish. When when this situation is over, when this trial is done, when this conflict is resolved, then, then I can really be fruitful for the Lord. If that's where we're at in our minds, we're missing it. Because God is able to make us fruitful while we're still in the affliction while we're still going through the trial, when things still aren't resolved, when things still aren't where we want them to be. So where are you? Are you like me going, gosh, I, you know, and maybe for you, you're going, I don't really necessarily feel stagnant. Maybe I don't feel like I'm, I'm lacking in passion, but... Guys, even when things have been really solid in my life spiritually in the sense of like feeling on fire for the Lord or whatever, there's never been a point where I've I've gone, no, I don't need God to do even more. Like I don't need God to like do an even more abundant sort of work by a spirit in my life. I'm like, bring it on, Lord. Like (laughs) do more. Like, pour into me more. Like, Lord, be glorified even more in my life. And maybe for you, whether you're feeling like, gosh, everything's going really good, or maybe for you, it's like, I'm sensing that God's wanting to do a change. There's something that he's wanting to to shift up. He's shaking me inwardly. He's revealing some things that we've just kind of left in this state where he's going, that's not all that I've designed for you to be walking in. That this morning that God's saying, look, like, I don't want you just to survive. I want you to thrive. (laughs) I want you to flourish. I want you to be fruitful. Maybe like Joseph, fruitful in the land of affliction. And if that's us this morning, he's not going, look, to have revival, let me give you 50 steps do these 50 things and revival will come. The first step is just going, wow, Lord, I, I need that. <laughs> I'm recognizing something that just needs to, to happen in my life and then to turn fully to the Lord. We know what that is, right? To turn fully to the Lord because, because there's, there's times where maybe we've kind of turned towards the Lord, but there's, there's part of us that's still kind of walking in the thing that we want to walk in. But to really turn fully back in that full position of heart of just being surrendered before the Lord, of being humble before the Lord and just crying out to him and saying, Lord, fill me. Lord, revive me. Lord, refresh me. Lord, renew me. God, I want to be in a place where, Lord, I'm passionate about you where, Lord, you are my first love. That, God, I would be zealous for you once again. And, guys, when our heart is truly in that place, no one who comes to the Lord will ever be put to shame. 
He doesn't go, oh, you wanted that? Sorry. I don't think you wanted it badly enough. Well, he wants to meet us where we're at this morning. And I want to pray that for us. And, you know, if there is somebody here and you don't just first have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that first thing that the Lord's wanting to do, that first new thing that God would have for you is to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus, to take you from a place of being dead in sin to being alive in Jesus Christ, having your sins forgiven, your guilt erased. And if that's you this morning, I just ask you to stand where you're at. If that's anybody, I'd love to be able to pray for you. You know, maybe for us this morning, that desire for revival is is in your heart too. And if that's you this morning and you're just going, I, I, I want God to revive me. I want God to cause me to thrive and to flourish. Would you stand where you're at? I'm, I'm already standing, but if I were where you're at, I would be standing as well. Awesome. I'm just going to ask us to do something that, you know, it's, it's not crazy. But would you just lift your hands with me where you're at? I want us to pray together right now. Just to say, Lord, Lord, you see the state of our hearts? God, you know what's going on in each of us. Lord, whether that's a sin that we want to see overcome. Lord, whether that's a struggle, a a hurt. Lord, that we want to see you heal. Lord, whether there's just some stagnancy. Lord, maybe our attitude has been off, Lord. Maybe we've just had a bad attitude. (laughs) Or Lord, we just become apathetic. We're just, we've, we've lost some feeling. Or God, we just feel this morning like like I've had the last two years, Lord. I'm just kind of surviving. Lord, would you meet us where we're at? I just encourage each of you just to say, Jesus, I surrender anew today. Jesus, I humble myself before you today. Jesus, I'm desperate for you to move in my life today. And Lord, would you draw near? And God, would you fan into a flame, Lord, those things that have been dying out? God, would you stir us? God, would you create a fire and passion within us? Lord, would you revive us once more? God, would you bring a season of refreshment that would come from your presence? Lord, would you bring renewal and restoration and healing and hope? And God, would you give grace? Jesus, we're in need of you. Lord, we don't want to be sitting in things that you want to call us out of. But Lord, we want to walk in the fullness of everything that you have for us. And so Lord, call us out today. Lord, put your finger on things in our lives today, Lord, that need to change. Where we need growth. And Lord, we're, we're doing great, Lord. Encourage us in those things as well. But God, would you transform us and uphold us and lead us, Lord, today and in the coming days, Lord, individually, Lord, but also as a church. 
that God as a body of believers, Lord, we would thrive. We would thrive. Lord, we would come with expectancy. We would worship you with, with passion. Lord, would we pray with a fervency? Lord, would we love each other? Lord, selflessly and unconditionally. And Jesus, would you be glorified? Lord, would you be honored? Lord, would you have your way among us? And Lord, we just sing these songs to you now. Lord, it's just a response of all that you're working in our hearts, God. Would these things not go in one ear and out the other, but Lord, keep these things in the front of our minds. Lord, would we meditate on these things throughout this week? Lord, would we seek you and continue to seek you, Lord God? We praise you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if you would like during these closing songs, you can come and take the communion elements over here to my right and bring them back to your seat and just remembering what Jesus has done, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us. But let's just keep praising the Lord this morning. Amen.